0: This special four part series of A Cure for Baldness is proudly brought to you by Grant Walker Electrical. Specialising in hospitality and commercial constructions, renovations, and fit outs, contact the team at Grant Walker 0415 091 546 or email grantwalkerelectrical.com.au.
1: Welcome back to A Cure for Baldness. And, uh, Damien, we, we titled the first chapter at the beginning, It All Starts Somewhere, and it's the story so far. but. The next uh, chapter in this great podcast we call Preparing to Be a Soldier. Now, at the age of 24, you qualified to be a commando in the Australian Army. Uh, That was in 2005. And what was the training like? I mean, what was it like to get there? We know you got whittled down from a group of 50. Can you talk to us through some of the intense experiences you had?
2: Yeah. I mean, it started off, I guess it was kind of cool. I watched Full Metal Jacket, the old Stanley Kubrick movie. I watched it so many times before I actually got to the stage of being at Kapooka, which is where you go to start basic training, and I remember going there the the first the first day and just going, "This is this is awesome," but it's still so simple. All you were doing is learning to march. You're learning how to stop properly when you marched, You know these really really basic things. You know, and it's it was the like was never as intense as you thought it was going to be at, for the first sort of part, but you were chomping at the bit for it. You were so, you were so excited, but then you you wake up and it was, it was kind of weird, you know, it was waking up to hallway 11. I'll never, never forget that hallway 11. Then everyone had to yell it back. And then you'd stand in the hallway, you know, and you just stand there at, at attention. And then, the, you know, you have 14 minutes or whatever to get to make your beds and you had to do them a specific way and stuff like that, which, you know, the luster of that being that it was really exciting for the first like week. You know, and occasionally some people get up out of bed and pass straight out, just like we'll get up. Because blood pressure. Yeah, there was uh, something something like that. Yeah, they, but get
1: then, up, they get up too quick. Yeah, yeah
2: but there was because everyone knew that we were doing the special forces thing. you had to be tough. You know, you couldn't. That was that was a sign of weakness. Anything that yep. was a sign of weakness was not happening. And then you went to like in our initial employment training. I know it was, it was similar. You started, but it started to get a little looser. And it was funny because you get there and then they go, okay, so you've been taught how to do this, this, and this at kapuka forget that, do it this way. Really? Yeah. And then, so you're kind of like, all right, sweet. And then it was funny after when we were marching out of initial employment training, which is like one of those things where they get everyone together and there's trumpets and shit going and you're, you know, like that, the bit of the army, that's not the, not the fun bit, you know, it was awesome. Our, our sergeant goes, all right, to anyone who's actually coming to four area, this is the last time you'll do a marching parade. Fall out. Like he did that. And like, it got it got cool, and you're like, okay, sweet, like, cause I don't, I'd never found the marching, and that is the most uh, like attractive sort of part of the job. But then we um after after that, you kind of go train. You you'd be doing everything that you you know in a military way. You know, them what they're starting to look for. We did advanced infantry training, which gets guys from the unit, you know, and it was funny because one of the guys actually lived in like Berkeleyville originally like yep. you know he was my he was um, he's my section commander you know you get up there and you're like wow okay and so you come from the central coast i'm like yeah yeah that guy our parents houses used to look at each other as well you know he did too we sort of had like this connection this little, yeah little thing where you're like okay cool and he didn't look exactly like what you'd picture you know you kind of pictured them all they just be like i said sec- second rowers mm-hmm. and then you know, you go there, and we did like a lot of that. That was refining like nav skills and stuff like that before we actually got to the stage of doing the barrier test. The barrier test was at the end of that, so it was hard because for I think the hardest bit was to keep your motivation and training up when you know you would have to do some of the mind-numbing stuff that comes with just basic infantry training. So, Can I was going to ask a
1: question on that, Tom. So, army marching and making your bed. And doing it a certain way, then changing it on you. Is this a test of your mindset? Getting out of bed and going to hallway 11. Like when you look back, I don't know it because I've never never experienced it. You have. So do you look back on it and go, they were setting me up to make decisions quickly, follow instructions adapting, correctly, yeah. adapting to different environments. Like yeah, there's a metaphor, like stopping and marching perfectly. Is that just to get you to do everything? Like maybe that could be changing a gun or putting a weapon. In. Like yeah. do you know what I mean? Is yeah, that, the... Do you think the same way I do when I hear that story?
2: Uh, yeah, most of us are like based on that shape, shape and break type idea you know they sort of break you and make you just without hesitation listen to and follow instructions you yep. know and you, you understand i think kapuka was because you kind of look back at you know you looked up to your superiors there and i thought about the pedestal that i kind of put them on you know and then it works out that two of them were in you know like an ordinance corps, and there's a few different like sort of professions that they were in there like i didn't i don't know if look kind of same respect yeah. for them now but when you look back at what They had to do, you had to have that instant respect for a corporal. Yes. You had to have that instant respect then for your sergeant, and the officer of the thing was like the untouchable guy. He won't even come in and speak to you, he won't even look at you. He'll just walk straight past because that's your spot. You know, you know, you know where it is. It was a real. You really on Anzac
1: Day, you share a beer together as if you're equals, is that? Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah but I mean, that was, that was sort of our unit as well. You know, yeah. you got, as long as you knew someone, and I think that's the further on in your career you got, you noticed that that was, you know, as long as you know people and then in front of the right people, you know, if you had like a brigadier come, you call them boss, you call an officer boss or something like that, or depending on how well you knew him, you could be on a like a first name sort of basis with him. But then... You know, you generally you generally just out of respect calling boss, but then if you know, if someone else comes that's from outside the unit, you're always very proper and so. Yeah. You know, you give all those type of things. But I think there's a lot of the basic sort of stuff that they do that's just training you to instantly be able to respond, have respect for that hierarchy and then instantly respond to a sort of sort of situation that happens. You know, so but you don't really learn you learn a lot, I think, about yourself when you look when you look when you're looking back at how you did change you know how you how your mindset did sort of change but it's like respecting a captain on a cricket field you know you'd never yeah you'd never go back at him with you know what you what you thought question, was, was going to happen in. yeah well there yeah. has to be a leader yeah that's it you know I yep. would just tell me to go and move four four steps to the right and you'd just go okay cool well, I'll do that and then you know so it was a similar similar sort of thing to that I guess in in a sense but you just know you well, like I was so focused on what I had to do to become a commander I just had I was willing to do whatever it took you know it was just one of those one of those things I saw it as the changing and defining moment of what I was going to do you know I sort of saw yeah, I did. It was just always a no fail for me. It didn't matter, and I didn't really look at. Okay, are they doing this for this purpose, or why are we waiting around for an extra three hours here, or why is this happening? You know, I never looked at the greater purpose. I was just, all right, this is what we've got to do. This is what I have to do right now, to become to become a commander. So I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it as well as I can. So you start getting through the stages where you, we did the, we did the barrier test, and I remember him doing us doing it, and just. Just being because the run was always the weakest thing, you have to do a run in webbing, and it's uh, I was gonna
1: say, can we ask what the barrier test is?
2: Yeah, so it's a 3.2k run in webbing, you got to do 100 sit ups to a cadence, which is really easy. Um, well, it will give pretty, pretty simple back in that day, you know, and then uh, 60 push ups in the two minutes, you know. But I mean, you get guys that you'd easily get sort of 80 to 100, with yep. your general sort of thing when you actually get to the unit 10 heaves, uh, a swim of. How far was it? I think it was two hundred mil. God, I can't remember how far. But in your, your like uniform. camos, yeah. yeah, just your cam gear, and then um, you had to do a it was a twelve k pack march, yeah, you know, which is With the, thirty kilos something yeah, like that on your yeah, back. Yeah, 20, 28, 30, and you get all get it all weighed, and you'd have a weapon, and you go through different stages of what you could do when you're you know getting ready because the pack marching was always a really painful thing. You know, your shoulders, you got to have you got your pack on, but I mean, it's got to sit somewhere. Yeah. And you'd have to you you had to use general issued army gear, and then you that's I think the first the first taste that you've got, and you can make things a lot easier. I mean, any dumb bastard can do it hard. That's simple. Smart people do it easy. Yeah, you know, it's all about working out how you can make that painful experience the easiest sort of way possible. You know what I mean? So,
0: let me ask you then: there's the physical part of it, and there's also the mental. Like, if you had to break it down, how much of what you're going through is the physical pain, if you will? How much is your mental toughness?
2: Yeah, I mean the physical, the physical pain was always the easy bit to deal with because you can s- kind of switch that off. You know what I mean? Part of you, you know, it's a means, it's a means to an end. You know that, you know, say because pack marching fact as well. You you start you start with the pack on the bat on your back and you sh- your shoulders start to go numb for the first five minutes. You know it hurts, it hurts for maybe the first ten, and then from there everything's going to sort of numb out and it's all just it's all just a mind sort of game. You know, the first time you wear a pack and go on that pack march, you you do 2Ks or something like that. And people are going down. There's people drinking water. There's all sorts of things just going through through your mind. Like people just sputting in left, right and center, you know, and that's the first time that you want a pack. But then you get used to the process of it happening. You do the first one that's that. Then the second one that's 3.5Ks. Then a couple of 5K pack marches. And you start getting your head around what's happening, you know, and you never think that the 5k one's possible. When you do the 3k one with the 30 kilos, you're like, how the? I do that? And then fucking 12 on the barrier. Like, this is, are you serious? But then when you start pushing your mind past that sort of the 5k one, you're like, well, okay, I did that reasonably easy, but why did it get easier when I got from the 4 to the 5k? Ah, uh, okay, whatever, and then we'll just keep training and you do you do different things you keep just bursting down those barriers to the point where you're like, all right, well, that's where I was there. You look back three months and you you couldn't stand having the pack on your back for for two ks you know, and then you can easily you can easily do sort of the twelve and then you're looking at, all right, I've got to get under an hour and ten minutes for the twelve ks yeah, how easy am I going to do that? You work out what which bits you'll run or shuffle for and what you're gonna do, but yeah, it's like, and I think that sort of mentality, because it's that basically tells you that you don't know anything about what you could do. You know, you've got no idea of what you can train your mind and put you through, put put it through. You know, and and that's that's what it comes down to is basically your whole mindset. Is that
0: the army instilling that in you? Are you learning that as you're going through through this training, or is that just Damien Tomlinson just saying, "Fucking toughen up." Yeah, it, a lot, it, a lot of it, it was
2: that you wouldn't you wouldn't be like ego wise, you wouldn't want to be the guy who stops you, know, you what, don't what do want you to think about it, that you, you
1: mentioned before that there's guys that are taking water and there's guys that are just dropping uh and, and you're part of a unit part of a team you know you're instilled in this Anzac spirit this country of ours and you're with men that you need to look after do you stop or do you keep going for the training purposes
2: for even even in training you know i was I was only willing to i was, I was more than happy if Like is it, I, it a single go- mindset I don' know I don't know. I mean, I just what used to work for me, or what did work, was me going. All right, the only thing that I'd be comfortable with, because I've never been comfortable with quitting, you know, the only thing I'd be comfortable with is waking up and then having people go shit. You're alright, you know. So it's like, all right, I'm gonna keep going until I physically pass out. Yeah, gotcha. You know, and that and that would you just just keep pushing and pushing, and it's amazing. I never got to the stage where my body would just pass out, so yeah. it's kind of a, a little bit disappointing, but. <laughs> You want, um, yeah, it's, and I think that that was the sort of the mentality I thought you you had to have, you know, you had to have that keep going sort of toughness, you know, and it does, it does open up different parts of, of your mind to, to what you can, what you are physically capable of. And you realize how little you know about it. You know, it's just really, are you willing to put up with what it takes to get to that next level?
1: Yeah. You've described the mindset of a commander, which is again, Silky alluded to as one of our questions. Um, The environment you're looking around you. Did you know who was going to make it or who wasn't going to make it? Did you look at some guys and not with disrespect, but um, you know, pity if that's the right word, or you know, you felt a bit sorry for them? Or did you just have no? I'm going to make it. I'm going to get there myself, and I know who's in this group that I can trust to rely upon. Did you get those sort of thoughts?
2: He sort of thought that you could you could weed some people out of it. You know, you'd be like, ah, I don't know whether he's going to. But then on the same hand, when we'd finished doing the CSTC like the commander selection and training and it was intense like it they just hand your ass to you the whole time you know you've got all these different I was I was number 70 and I'll always remember that number I had them my thing and they used to do these you know it's about being in a, a job like that is is about being able to handle pressure you know, so one of the things that they do is when, because you, you don't know whether you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing or what's happening. Am I laying in the right sort of spot? Yeah, I'm in good cover. I've got this. Then someone will walk over next to you, and they had these awesome notepads that had Velcro on them. They just come around and open it up next to you, then start writing something. You know, when you're kind of like you can see them out at the corner of the eye, you're like, "Fuck, am I in the right spot?" You look round and you kind of someone else would nod at you, and you've been up all night, so you're just exhausted. You're like. Oh, what's happening? But all that's just basically building pressure. Yeah. Just one of those situations where they're like, all right, we're going to keep building building that sort of pressure and teach your mind how to deal with it. But then when we got to the end of the course, you know, you, you realize but when you talk to people during the course, you get a break and they're kind of like, all right, you can switch off. Uh, you know, we've got two or three minutes. Everyone <laughs> sit down there and so you sit down in a circle, you'll eat. Oh, cool, we can relax. Man, this keeps happening. Does it happen to you? And they're like, yeah, yeah. They always come up and you start to get like sort of part of what's happening. But then someone would contact you and it's, everyone back on right after you've been just relaxing and eating for a bit. But I remember looking around the room when they called a bunch of numbers. So they'd have, okay, candidates and then gave all your numbers through and then had people leave. And I looked around and the room was sort of 50-50, guys. So you thought he might make it, he might not. And that was the only thing you had to gauge. So he's sort of looking around, and going "fuck." And a couple of my my good mates who had, had gone, one of them, one of them had gone. He used to play for the Dolphins, and um down at Coogee. And that was that was that when I first first moved to Sydney. That's why I moved to moved to Coogee. And he, I remember he left the room, and I was just, man, he's he'd built like a battle axe. He was just solid as a rock, you know. He's always always on song, like he had his always had his a game on. And, um, Trent Robber went to school with his brother. Yeah, right. But yeah. Was, um, and he left the room, and I was like oh no, like looking around the room and trying to gauge what's the guy going to say, you know, who's standing up the front. And then, um, yeah, the guy says, oh, um, everyone in this room, have a look around you. And you're like, you don't know whether he's going to be starting off to say something good or something bad. So you're like, you're looking around going, oh, I wonder whether that guy, this guy, this guy, no, this guy is awesome. He's brilliant. But that guy, he did this and this during the course, you know, he fell asleep on the Navex or something yep. like that. You know, there was mm. just that sort of array of people around you. And he goes, you are the guys who we are looking for, blah, 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 this and that. Congratulations. You know, like that was probably the biggest relief after the, after the three week course, you know, of doing that. Then he, my, my mate who went outside, he sort of got sent back. There was a, a big group of them. It was, um, Heaps of people got broken on the course, like physical injuries and stuff like that. Guys could pull the card and just walk away. You know, you could just go, okay, cool, I'm I'm done. And um, there were, so there were a bunch of people. But then two of the group, which would have been maybe 10 or 15, who went outside, they all got counseled about what they had to improve, about what they were doing. And then two of the guys and one of them we thought was going to – he was like a shoe in He was one of the guys who got told, no, better luck next year. Wow. Yeah. You know, so there were two guys who got that sort of speech, and then the rest, the rest of them sort of come in. So I think at the start we had probably ninety odd people. I think maybe twenty five or something ended up getting through at the end of the CSTC.
0: What was that like? What was it, what did it feel like when you finally got selected?
2: Yeah, yeah, I was pumped. Like I thought it was, it was just the the payoff. You know, you done you done all the work up until that time, you know, and it was all right, cool. And plus, it was just it was a, such a privilege to go all right. I'm good enough. I'm no yeah. good enough to even get through this, you know. I think it was just a good boost, sense of achievement. Yeah, sense of achievement, a boost for my like your confidence. You are kind of like, wow, okay, I can I can mix it with them now. What 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 I didn't realize at the time was now the journey the journey's just starting. That's the start of the Rio cycle, which is like the reinforcement cycle. You know, everyone's training. You got to train all these different aspects. You do like weapons, roping, uh demolitions or basic demolitions. You've got to do like your, your fast roping side of stuff. You've got all the different parts and aspects that go into it. You know, you've got, and that's not even until you start getting into your specialty courses. You know, you've got the para course, uh, parachuting course, which is good fun, but again, it injures, injures people eventually. Um, advanced, like um, close quarter battle, advanced close quarter battle, urban operations, all of these really, Cool things, but they're all really intense courses. You know that you sort of that you go through through the the reinforcement side of things. But then when you get when you actually get qualified, you you realise that you know the the train keeps going. You know there's always courses when you're at home. There's different things that you can do and things that you've got to do to sort of further your career. You know it didn't sort of finish it. Going all right, you qualified. Here's your beret. Congratulations. You're going there. It's here's your beret, congratulations, you're going there, that's a great thing. Now you're on this course, this course, and this course. You've got this planned out for the next while and then it keeps keeps going as a sort of thing. The difference is when you've when you've got your beret, you've, you've kind of proven yourself to a certain level so you're one of the boys. You don't get spoken down to when you're on a course. You get treated as an equal who's then learning a new skill.
1: Yeah, right. How's that feeling when you get that? I mean, that's a, a huge reward or sense of achievement for, for you, as you said yeah. before, to Silky, but... I guess when you're treated as an equal, is that, that reward the one thing that, you know, just set you aside from everything else? Because yeah. you see those people that are dropped out, you must feel a massive
2: sense of pride. I think it was, it's more... And an ego boost. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And it was more trying to be on par with the guys who were, the guys who were tracking around, you know, like the guys who were, um, who were doing, their, doing their thing. you kind of like, I've I've got, there's all these guys who you look up to, you don't know what, what they've done or who they are or the first sort of thing about them, but you're like, okay, this guy's... You know, well, Warren Berry. You know, he's been there for a long time. Wow. Yeah. You know, they're still. That was still sort of the Superman tools, you know, because they've been doing the job for that long. You know, it was um. I remember, I remember walking into the the mess there the first time, you know, and you got all these. So these are the guys that live behind the black stripe. You know, that was yeah. the whole. Oh, wow. Okay, this is a. It was a, so like part of it was it was intimidating, I think, but then when you become comfortable at the unit, you know, it's the coolest thing I think about walking around there is just, and I actually had a a good friend sort of say this, when I'd left the army, I was like, you know that, and he goes, well, yeah, I went back there, and he goes, it's amazing the sense of purpose that exists there, and it was only when he pointed it out that I was like, wow, yeah, it it does, you know, everyone who's walking somewhere has a sense of purpose, everyone has a sense of direction, you know, and it just kind of it was really, really interesting to sort of look back at that time and go, wow, everyone that does walk around that place, whenever you're doing something, you do have that sense of purpose, which yeah. is I haven't, I haven't felt that anywhere else. You know, I, I, I really haven't. But I guess it's the same thing when the, the footy players, you know, go into the dressing room before the game, you know, when everyone, when everyone rocks up. You know, say it's say it's to training or something, and you're getting changed and ready. You know, I have, well, I, I guess it's similar. Well, to when they're you're the best of cousin. the best, right? Like, a, it's a great analogy. It you know, is. The first
0: grade footballer walks in and people look and stare, and you know, wow, I wish I was them. In, in, in army talk, you know, the, the the commando unit is the
2: is the best of the best. There's no getting around it. It, it. it was it was cool in that way, and I I think in a in a sense part of the the regiment does get built up. You do get those little privileges that not a lot of people get based on the fact that, you know, it's got to have that bit of mystique mm. that goes with it. You know, that and that mystique and prestige, yeah. I think that goes along with it. But it was just really cool to always have that, that sense of purpose. And you knew you were going to be the, sort of the first on the ground when you went different places. So that was, that was also cool. So you're like, you always had a reason to be focused, which is, which is great.
1: Did ever? I mean, people couldn't know obviously that you were uh, part of the commander. You got a sort of a bit of a secret identity, I guess, which also adds a bit of mystique and a bit of excitement—James Bond, if you will.
2: Yeah, yeah. You get to. You used to get the sort of lighter chicks when you were out on the piss. Everyone had their <laughs> different stories of what they did, which is just yeah. I mean, What'd you use? Give us, give us your, uh, give us your line. Both from be, IT. <laughs> oh yeah, that was it. Yeah, I, my my dad used to own an IT company because that way I could sort of I could rattle a little bit about what he did. You know, my dad's um. My dad owns an IT company. I'm just a, a sport-rich kid That's because you get, you get paid reasonably well for what you do. So you're like, oh, that's why I drive that car and do this. You know, so you I'm, would have
1: got a beard and a tattoo of a sailor and said that I, I'm, I'm a barista, you know what I mean, <laughs> like they are now, or a cocktail barman. Like There's just all these cool kids now serving cheeseburgers and, and coffees. Oh, yeah. Tom, can you talk us through, I mean, the, the training side and the mentality of a commando is just, you know, you're setting this great scene. You're now deployed to Fiji in 2006. Um, it's your first deployment. What what goes on and and what happens there?
2: We were still remember this. We walked into walk. I walked into an office. we sitting down in the office, and the guy who was actually ended up being he had just come back from a Delta company trip to Afghanistan, where they had like one of the biggest contacts that we've had in a long time. They had two MG, like a Medal of Gallantry and a Star of Gallantry, come out of that trip. And he walked in. Everyone sat in the office, and he said, "Look, is." is there anyone in this room who can't, there's a job that's that's happening, blah, blah, blah. We'd all just got pulled off the range as well. So zeroing weapons, is there anyone? Everyone was really excited. So like, cool, we're going somewhere. We're doing something. They've always told you, you know, you've got to be ready within 48 hours. You know, it's go time. So we got back and he called us into the office and goes, look, is there anyone who can't do this job? And there's just not, no one moved. It was the stillest I've seen anything. Everyone's like, you know, this is just a hint of a grin on people's faces and stuff like that, and he's like, "All right, cool, showtime." Because we're yeah, we're doing this. We're going to. We've got um. There's been a coup in Fiji where the weapons have been seized off the um off the dock. Uh, Frank Benamaram is the guy's name. You'll know more once we get going. Everyone go out and get your gear together. You know, so we went out. I think we got that. We got that night at home, but it was the next morning that we actually sort of deployed up there. And we'd heard that our platoon at that stage was staying in Townsville. What was going to happen is if if it if it did kick off, which it never did, which is kind of kind of horrible. We were going to be the um the group. I mean, it was good, I guess, on a scale of things happening. saddle-wise in Fiji, but wanting to get your job done, you know, and be able to sort of get your your toes wet, so to speak. It was was a bit disappointed that nothing happened, but we were going to originally do what's called a PLF or para load follow. So we'd jump out of a plane offshore, put boats together, like zodiacs, and then go in. And after a position had already been established, we were going to be the first ones on the ground to get that sort of job done. Then the guys off the boat were going to basically come in and do the do the work that they had to do. When we got up to Townsville, we'd get there and they're like, all right, cool, uh, the situation's changed, we're all getting on the boat. You know, like look across and there's a, there's a Navy ship that you thought, okay, that'll be, this'll be, here." all right, cool. But I I didn't take my laptop, I didn't take anything to read, like and I've got the worst ADD ever. Like I get bored within like three or four four minutes of doing anything. So like, being stuck on a boat was the last thing I really wanted. But you're like, all right, cool. We at least we will get stuff to do. The Navy in there, like, is is probably the best joke anyone's ever done. Put Groundhog Day on the TV <laughs> as the movie, but on repeat for like the first week. Like by the end of it, it was almost it was. It dead you hate Bill Murray. Oh my god, it was. It was woeful to the point where you wanted to get back at the Navy guys. You're like, yeah, cool. You guys clean toilets. We just, we get it. You know, it's really, really funny groundhog day. But then you realize that the sign of a mutiny is whistling. So you go, you cruise through and then you just whistle at each other. Oi, Jono. And then Oi, and some Navy yeah, right. guy will come and bark at you wearing his gray overalls. For whistling. You know? Yeah, yeah, they they really don't like it. But if you get enough people doing it, you know, yeah, you can. really <laughs> you freaking not, them out? Yeah, you can really not like it. But still, it's it's happening like this. Guys, I, I mean, it was a, it was that that is the first sort of troop of going. All right, cool. We're, we're doing stuff. It's great. But I saw a guy. I think it got made comfortable for me. Then remarkably uncomfortable. But I saw a bloke who, you know, he walked through the thing. I'm like, I know this guy from somewhere. And, it'd be, and I could think, it was from when I was young, all right, did I play cricket or baseball? Baseball against him, I think. So I'm like, oh mate, I play baseball against you or something? And he's going, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, you used to play cricket for Terrigal, you know, Terrigal matchup. And I'm like, yeah, why? And he goes, oh, I used to wicket-keep for Tookley first grader. I remember he came out and played. I top-scored in the first game or something. I was like 15, had this long blonde hair. It was very chick-like. but. <laughs> cool, I thought it was cool, as catch catchy when I was young for having that sort yeah. of, yeah, the low hair I thought it was a Pot awesome. smoking
1: turf from Terrigal <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's the,
2: the, exact, the exact mold, so he sort of said that and I was like, wow okay, yeah, I remember, I remember that guy, he ended up, his name was Josh Porter, he ended up, we are on the smokers deck one day and this was like everyone used to kind of go out as a communal thing, you'd go out and have a have a cigarette and you know, you'd go out and you'd talk to different people and everyone would sort of clear their air, that was a little therapy space where you'd go you know, it's pissing me off and this is doing that and, you know, this is frustrating. And cabin fever. Yeah, kind of. It was like that. And then one day I remember they were doing like jobs because the snipers would go out and do different things that they were doing for counter-terror work and stuff. I remember just hearing this almighty like bang and scrape type thing looking up and there was rotor blades flying. And yeah, you're like, fuck, one of the choppers has just hit the deck. Wow. All right, and this one of the one of the guys was a really well respected guy. He could hold a room. Like honestly, when we were talking about seeing each other down at the Oaks, this guy's the only other guy I've seen besides you who could hold a room for twenty minutes, a half an hour, just rattling these epic stories off to people. Like this guy was you're no as funny as you, Bush, but he's like had.
1: You recording this, Silk?
2: <laughs> yeah. He had the ability to hold hold a room like that, and I remember like he just yelled out. It was so was like you were in some sort of movie. He's like, "Don't cover! And he had one of those really deep oh, yeah. voices. Like bang, so he sort of curled over. I looked up, looked across at him because I was talking to him at the time. Then he ran up onto the comms deck. So I followed him up and we looked down. And when you do training, they drop you down into a pool like you do it. And then the thing flips upside down just so that you know how to unbuckle yourself and get out when you're underwater. The hardest thing is when you go upside down, water goes straight up your nose. You know so then you go the first thing you do is blow your nose straight and try and blow the water out, which gets rid of all the air you've got, and then your body goes into sort of a weird panic mode, but you clip your clip your thing and it's so slow the way that it happens that I thought that must be like okay how it happens in real life so I kind of when we got up there expected a chopper to be slowly turning around and going underwater you know, but when we got up there you couldn't even see bubbles like, and we could just we counted people popping up. You know, and he was like, he's holding fingers up. I'm next to him and he's holding fingers back. We got one up, two, and going through. And then he got to six. Like, fuck. Well, And then it sort of hit home. You're like, I know there was way more than six people in that chopper. We didn't even see it hit the the thing. But it turned out two of them came up on the other side of the boat. That's how deep they were. They came up on the other side of the hole. And then Josh was still, still strapped in. So it um it got him on impact apparently, from what we hear, and then yeah they had to go and recover it. But then everything goes into complete radio silence as well. There's no phone calls home. There's nothing like that. It's four days where we couldn't do anything, you know, until Josh and then um Captain Mark Bingley, he was the the chopper pilot at the time. Who the our our guys were saying they uh, worked with him and how great of a pilot he was, you know, been doing it for years and years and just yeah um. Some some happened, but he ended up dying actually on the deck. So they got him up, they got him up and um, out of the water. So he got out of the thing in time, then rebreathed, got him up. And, yeah, it was – the thing that sort of gave him a chance, I think, was they had the divers were in doing some work at the time as well. But, yeah, it would, it would have been a pretty moving experience, I think, to be underwater and watch that chopper go down past you. It would have been a bit Shit.
1: intense. But, yeah, so yeah. – so you sort of miss action in Fiji, but they have this incredible, yeah, I, I suppose, that. experience where you're first exposed to, to the first experience of death in the army, if you yeah.
2: will. Yeah, yeah, and especially it being, it being Josh, that was a bit, you know, you, can, you kind of get that eerie feeling where I didn't know too many of the, the SAS operators at the time, you know, so you kind of like, it gets really eerie when you're like, oh, I only know one of them and it was a guy who played cricket for Tookley, you know, I just knew he wasn't one of us and he had long hair at the time and you're like, oh, yeah. well, okay. Yeah, and it got heavy because then it wasn't until
1: does that bring it home for you? Like what you're actually doing. I mean, you're doing all this training; it's exciting. You're watching Four Metal Jacket. If you if you rewind this and you listen to it, you know you have got all these things that are positioning you to be in a commander. You get that achieved like a sportsman trying to trial for you know Olympics, and you know even in your life that's happened. But does that bring it home and go, shit, this is real? It's very
2: real, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was sort of, I think that was sort of the moment, you know, where you... Defining moment. Yeah, you tried to mentally prepare yourself to deal with the fact that something was going to go wrong. You knew it was. At some stage it is. But you kind of got to, you're so focused on what you're doing, you know. And I think it's like, it's like on the sporting field, you know. Whenever you're visualizing anything, you visualize the perfect scenario. You know, you, you visualize getting ready for optimal sort of results. You know, every time you every time you think about doing a raid or something like that, you're never thinking about what's coming back. You're thinking exactly what you can do to give yourself the most advantage possible. Yeah, it's because that's effectively the job is basically minimizing risk. You know, what you can do to make sure that you minimize the risk of something going wrong. You know, there's a lot of different things that you do, and that's sort of the path that you generally sort of take. Yeah, so you, I think seeing that. Having having that happen was extremely surreal, you know. But then, as well, with the fact that, you know, you'd never get to see the the video of it, I ended up seeing the the video was actually on YouTube. Wow. And it took me like a good three or four years after it to actually watch the video, you know, Mm. to sort of see what it looked like. So I could remember, I can still remember what it sounds like and what it looked like when the the rotors flew up because all you could think was how much shrapnel came off those rotors. You know, God, there was a lot. And then there was a dip, like a it's a reasonably tall thing on the back of the boat that you couldn't, so you couldn't directly see the chopper. So it was, yeah, I still remember seeing that shot. And then, yeah, when I watched the video, it looked a, a little lot
1: haunting sound for you. Is it something that sort of you think about with like a you cringe your toes it was or was kind of just weak.
2: shock? It was yeah. kind of shock. You'd be like, whoa, wow, okay. Because yeah, it just went from a normal day, you know, the choppers were out and everyone's weird, chewing the fat. It was sunny beautiful blue water and then just fucking crack. So well wow. it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of like just the shock factor of it. You were like, well, wow, something, something's happened. Okay. This is crazy. And it started to really ram home. I think when like the dude Rufus was counting the things up, you know, you'd be like, okay. And that was the first one where it got, we, you know, my mind was like, wow, it just got extremely real, you know, and these yeah. six people came up. This is all right. Yeah, it was an, it was an odd, an odd sort of sensation, but it was kind of good because it regenerates the way that you sort of think about things. Like, Reboots the computer, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you start to, refocus. Yeah, started switching on. Mm. I think a little bit more. You know, you start because you start going, all right, cool. I've got this wide. You know, and I think that's that's a trap that I've fallen into too many times in my life. You know, I've got life wide. I probably thought that when I was eighteen at Terrigal. You know, when I was there walking around, you know, just hanging out, drinking beer, surfing. You know, you were kind of like, oh, I've got this wired, you know, and that to me is sort of the biggest trap you can fall into. Fast forward 12 months and
0: you get deployed again, this time to East Timor. Now, I remember at the time that was quite a. It was news. Yeah, well, it was news, but there was a bit of a standoff there, you know, the Indonesians and the. You know, riots, yeah, yeah there, was, there was riots, the machetes, was to, and, you yeah. know, they were chasing, they are after the president at the time. So, yeah. Tell us what that was like. That had the UN Peacekeepers over there. Tell us a bit about your experience in East Timor.
2: Yeah, I think there was uh, Renata was yeah. the guy at the time. Yeah, mm. he was um sort of make, make, making the big push. And it was funny because we were doing a bit of the sort of work. But we, we had a, I, had a, I had a great time when I was over there. You know, East Timor was such a – it's a beautiful place. And it's got all these old Portuguese buildings and different stuff in the rural areas and stuff because the Portuguese went in and just basically took every bit of timber out of the joint. Yeah. But – um. I remember going there and it was just it was just fascinating, you know. And two chickens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so i would grown up watching surf vids of them, people going to Indonesia and doing all these cool things over there. So it was the closest I'd sort of got to being there. I think everywhere. And there's yeah. col- gorgeous coral reefs all around it. So you come in and we, when we were at in Dili, we were right next to the airport at a place called the, like the ApoB was our little compound. So you'd come in on choppers you do jobs where you go out you'd be out for four days or two or three days and then come back and you know it was just awesome being able to come around and look at different stuff that you're doing we had this really cool job where we took this chick medic kept asking if she could go out she's like oh can't come out and we'll do like a medcap thing it'd be great and we're like oh okay well yeah you know we'll go we'll go and do this yeah okay whatever so they, I didn't realize they'd given the chopper pilots the drop that we had this medic with us. So we're crew, we've got, we've gone out, and I remember looking across at um, like our, our team commander, and he's like, just giving the thumbs up to the guys in the front. And what they did was sort of put us into this corkscrew, going down at a chopper, which is very close to you thinking the choppers going in, you know, like they're like, yeah, well, cool, we'll do it. So he just banks, it's like a hard right bank, then corkscrews down. And I'm thinking That's a party trick, is it? Yeah, I'm thinking this <laughs> I'm thinking this is fucking awesome because I'm looking down and there's just ground sort of corkscrewing towards me. But like I'd seen Jim give the thumbs up, so I was like, all right, cool. i look across at this medic and she had like a head back on this seat, just white knuckling. Like honestly, <laughs> it was gripping this thing so hard. It was, yeah. It was it was it was it was funny. It was good good fun doing it. What was your guy's primary role over there? It was more of an in-gathering type thing. You know, we go, you'd do a med a med cap, which is where you basically went and gave medical aid to the villages and stuff like that and sort of food. And you just, well, a lot of it was the hearts and minds type of thing. Well,
1: you were received um, by the uh, by the um, Timorese people?
2: Yeah, one ones who had seen us before would always ask for like a medication or something like that. Yeah. They'd all have bad backs. Every single <laughs> every single man would come up. Just so like we, bloody prisoners. Yeah, so we had like stretches that you'd have to show them. You get down on the ground and you pull your thing across. This will help you back. But they all slept in reasonably primitive sort of things. But it yeah. was good to see, you know, how happy groups of people could be. like Smiley, we got some, happy yeah. village, like just
1: salt of the earth. Aren't oh,
2: yeah, you? got some cool ones. So you got, we went down to one of the borders one time and they had this little, like one kid had a radio. We sat down there and like I've still got some really cool photos of this, you know, it's all just sitting down. And he was like, he was the king of that thing. And it was just like this little radio that played like a song that I, I don't know, no, no, I'd never heard it and it wasn't that cool. But these guys were just so stoked off this, of this, that, you know, and you got like palm trees and stuff like that around. It was just, it was really, really cool. But I went over into the back of our car. And I'm like, you guys come over. So they came over and we got them like, we we'd have Mars bars and different things like that that we yep. had in our rations and oh, kids have one of these, you know, and they, they they got stoked off and went and got us. One of the kids climbed a tree, gets a coconut. Got the machete and hit the top off a coconut, and I remember that was my first thing with coconut water, like fresh coconut water. To be, it was, it was just mind blowing and amazing. Like
1: you're giving them a gift that's that's so. I says, I guess Western and protest and capitalism. You know, Mars bars stands for that, and they give yeah. you something so simple yet it's just a great exchange yeah. of, uh, I suppose niceties, if you will, or or respect. Yeah,
2: you know? it was it was cool, fun, you know. And they tried to, they tried to hose me at at pool. I think they knew that we had like we'd always take money with this in one in one of the pockets so yep. we played this game of pool and i'm I'm not great at the game you know and their table was ripped and stuff like that but this is this is their little little pool were, sharks yeah they were yeah. cranking yeah that was what they tried to do yeah, that was yeah, sort of the shocking. thing they're like oh do you want to put some money down oh my money 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 uh, i haven't got any i kind of <laughs> gave him that one because it's like i could smell it coming and then this guy just carved he just he drew, sank like six balls within the next, <laughs> like that was a pop, 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 A pop, local Eddie pop, Charlton. Pop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're like, wow. He's...
1: Eddie <laughs> way on Charlton.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was great being over there. I think, you know, just for, for me at that stage, when I first got to the unit in 2005, I hadn't traveled overseas. You know, Sydney was still a big trip away. Yeah. You know, and it was an hour away and we did. Once we got qualified, we went over and did New Year's in Hawaii. That was our thing. We'd go over and. And chase American women who love Australian accents. So it was, a, as you can imagine, it was a horrible trip. Yeah, and um, for sure. you still
1: had to tell them you're a friend,
2: an IT guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It still has That's the logo. worst part.
1: You would Adam, have been a walk up start if you said I was a commander in the Australian <laughs> Army. You. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's Especially in America, with yeah. the respect
1: I have for the military.
2: Yes, that was. I think mean, that was. That was. I was. A hub, watching, watching that, and not being able to sort of say it. But it was still. It added more mystique to what you did. Yeah, you know, it was still cool.
1: So you, you you got yourself to Fiji and you have that dose of reality with that chopper going down and, and and close to home if you will. Timor is is I suppose another you know bit of action if you know if that's the right way to frame it. But then uh, you know you're preparing for Afghanistan. You did a full year of training. You knew what was going on. Uh, you know we all know the story with Afghanistan. Uh, well, everyone's got a version of the story. Give us your version of that training. That one year you prepared for one whole year to go there. Yeah, that- and why is that?
2: That year, at that stage, in two thousand and six, by seven, yeah, two thousand, two thousand basically started a, a rotation system in Afghanistan where rotation four had gone. By the time I went in two thousand and nine, we were rotation nine. You know, so they'd done the first three rotations, had time off, and then the unit had started back up again. When I did, I did my deployment to East Timor and came back. They instantly posted me to uh, to Bravo Company. And Bravo Company's spot in the rotation basically gave us—I think we had a fourteen-month, thirteen-month, or something like that—build-up build-up cycle. You know, and the first part of that was because the the unit went through this amazing evolution of um, it because there's different ways that tiers are described, which is kind of like I guess grades in football or cricket or something like that. And they wanted they wanted it to be basically lift its game so everyone had to get qualified in advanced close quarter battle which was the domestic counter-terror skill and also is room room combat is you did basic room combat in your reinforcement cycle when you're doing urban operations but then the advanced close quarter battle was really winding that tight you know using using different weapons using different things Clearing, physical like um, martial arts or you know any sort of knife yeah, yeah there was yeah. the unarmed combat, oh, unarmed best, combat best defense against the knife is the one thing i can't do now which is run because <laughs> you just got to acknowledge that you're going to get cut that's just a fact with the knife fight so you don't want to be in one and plus you with with the job it's more about working with the things that you've got you know if you get to the stage where you're using your knife you've had your long arm stop you've had your pistol stop you're at knife stage you're you're in the hurt locker, you know. Like some, if someone can actually get through all of your different weapons stopping, that guy's that guy's pretty, pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna struggle a bit when it comes to the knife side. So you focus on being the best shot, having as fast a changeover drills as you can for when when one when one weapon does stop. And I mean that's one of the sort of things. It becomes a competition on the line, you know. When you go up, fire your weapon twice, and there's stoppage. You got to. Call stoppage, pull your weapon down, and then pull your, your short arm out, and then fix your stoppages. That becomes like those drills are something that you drill over and over. Because it's just crucial, I suppose,
1: every moment. You know, and that, yeah. that, that's obviously a skill that needs yeah. to be drummed because Split
2: seconds, in, really small, minor fractions of a second are really important in a stage like that. Because let's remember when you're firing your weapon, you're firing it at a threat. You're not just randomly walking through. So when yeah. you, when your weapon fucking stops, your call of stoppage is really important because it lets everyone know what's happening around you. Fuck, all right, this guy's weapon stopped. Let's turn, and then you know focus focus on what's, ha- what's happening. Then plus they know that the, the time that it takes you to drop one weapon and pull your pistol, you know if you're calling you're calling stoppage on something, it means your weapon's jammed while you're firing at something. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that's the shot that's going to come ring over your shoulder or something like that, which is, you know, the guys watching each other's backs, which I think part of, part of it, you, don't, you don't realize the gravity of how important those drills and stuff are until, you know, you see, it's all about aggressive posture and controlled aggression. You know, it's all controlled aggression, but you do stay at a heightened situation of awareness through that. They you know, they talk about that a lot, essay or situational awareness and knowing what's happening around you. But we did some, they, we during that upgrade, where our whole unit was getting sort of qualified and pushed pushed forward, always pushed to become that little bit more elite, we had this great great facilities. You know, we had like an Afghan village that they had that you could you could do walkthroughs of different scenarios in um, embassies where you could use paint rounds and things like that. But then oh, this amazing range facility, and the range facility was there was a 270 degree range, which basically means you could shoot. 270 degrees you didn't need any of the really slim sort of range-like ideas that originally on some of the outdoor ranges you needed you know to do a range trace then there's what's called the rcr or room combat range which is really cool to you know you go in and you actually walk through and you're doing these scenarios and you just drill them day in and day out and keep keep pushing it was just kind of fun you know i mean to to go through and be able to shoot like the you know, you patch out targets or faces on, on walls and in different spots and you go through and it was, you know, it's sort of an odd mindset when you're always thinking about what, you know, the, the, the rest of you guys are doing, what you've got to, what what your spot is, you know, because you know that you are dealing with deadly weapons the entire time, you know. I mean, you can't afford to fuck up. Yeah. But then on the same hand, you're like, all right, cool, I have to identify the threat, then suppress the threat or kill, or finish the threat then move on to the different thing. But then you're thinking about drills that you've got to do and different stuff the whole time. I didn't even realize until like we got our first leave after something, how wired you were, you know, you're sort of in that spot where you're like at such a heightened sense of awareness, you'd be like, all right, cool. We can't wait to get on leave. You know, I can't wait for leave. You know, the whole time through that, the entire build up, you're like, cool, I'll go and leave. When on, you go and leave and then you've you know, woken up the first morning, you've gone surfing, you've run from like I used to live in a street called like Oberon Street in Ramwick. You know, I'd run, you'd run the one well, I run and back and then you kind of like, okay, well, what do I do now?
0: It's funny just hearing you tell these stories. My, my, my hairs are standing up on my, on my arms. And just what I was thinking about, you know, what you're saying there, like, just how do you control the emotion and your breathing and all that kind of stuff? Like, it, oh, my, oh, my heart's racing just listening. You tell the stories. He's only in training these. too. I'm doing the same thing. You're just preparing. It's amazing just listening to the stories of the preparation and how you are so in the moment. It's the and, detail, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I, that's why we're not talking about. It. This yeah. is just fascinating listening. Yeah. So please continue. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: that, it's, quite, it's I think that, that you touched on a really good one there as well. Attention to detail. You know, that's a that's a key thing. You know, noticing what's wrong in a room or a place. You know, why it's a really basic sort of tracking skill is that attention to detail as well, you know, and that it
1: goes back to the bed making and the marching, I reckon, because I was trying to get that before I can yeah. correlate because, you, you know, we've had some great chats off here and Silky just said it. There is so much going on. You are processing. You're talking. I'm trying to process. Yeah. Like, so I'm, I, visualizing I, I, I'm, I'm visualizing it. I'm visualizing you walking through a room. I'm getting what he's doing. We're visualizing yeah. you and going, I'm going, Right. Then you say you've got to process the threat, you've got to finish the threat, you've got to look at the spot. You can't afford to fuck you've up got to you're know dealing deal with you're deadly going bad, as well. and you have got your peripheral, you're talking two seventy degrees. I reckon you're three sixty at the moment. I'm, I'm kinda there with you and yeah. it's an amazing thing to
2: think of. Yes, yeah, so and that's that's sort of the thought process when you're training, you know, you've gotta have your mind switched onto that full the two hundred and seventy just meant the direction you could shoot, but like the it's like three hundred and sixty degrees is only a flat thing, whereas realistically it's there's different levels to yep. everything. You know, it's, it's sort of – and then being able to draw that mental image of what's happening around you, you know, and have that next – I think the sort of – the key thing is, you know, after after you have found fixed or finished the target, even in training, you've still got to know where you're moving to next. Yeah. What are we doing? You know, you've got to have an overarching idea of, okay, what's our objective? What are we doing in this whole scenario, you know, like which sometimes in the in the room combat, sort of situation it's easy because you know that there's only so many rooms that you can be going through no matter what they've changed because you could change what doors you do you could put facades up and things like that you go through the situation but then you get what when the stop was you know and then there's a stop everyone goes through you would reset you'd patch out targets Do these different things and that was that was a good part of the a good fun part of the build-up but you know how professional everyone's level went when they rebuilt those parts of the unit, you know, you'd have the the ranges, you know, everyone's level of professionalism went through the roof, you know, just by having those surrounds, you know, that were sort of a level above. I remember going out and I had to talk to Des Hasler when they were doing, I went out and spoke to the Bulldogs at one stage and he said, seeing the difference in professionalism when they moved from their old camp into their new, which has got the new stadium and all the gym and everything like that, seeing people's attitudes and stuff change towards that was very similar you Know to to what happened, I think, when they had all those new facilities open out of Holesworth. It was just, and it was just awesome to be a part of. You know, you would, you know, it's kind of, it's like, it inspires her to be better, I suppose.
1: Yeah, that's it. Do better.
2: Yeah, and you start paying that, that, you know, attention to detail. You start throwing away the sort of ideas that you previously had about it and then going, all right, well, I've got to keep lifting my game. So
1: it's just constant and never ending improvement. And as you say, constant training. So you're now, uh, A finely tuned machine. Thank you. You're a finely tuned special operations commando. You're sharp, you're confident, mate. You're highly intellectual. You can tell that by the way you're talking. That's one thing that's a a takeaway from me already thinking, shit, the mindset. You know, we asked you before what describe a commando. I would say to you, a highly trained, highly intelligent individual who can adapt at any moment to change, follow instructions. And uh, you know, get his job done. Is that a correct assumption? And that's only some of the words that describe it.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean they're, they're generally the type of guy, you know, trainability is a huge thing that they look for. You know, the guy you have to be trainable. No one's gonna get things right every time. Yes. They're not, you know, at some stage everyone on the team's gonna drop the ball. It's how do you deal with that sort of drop that makes the huge difference? Plus, I've noticed a general, general, general thread, which it's a very blokey trait. But when someone will ask you and they go, Oh, can you do it? You go, yeah. <laughs> and then you go, oh, oh fuck! Now I got to work out how. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. that's the type of that's the type of people. You know, generally it's a yes. So you got to be a, a problem posit- solver, haven't you? Yeah. And
1: you have got to have that positive attitude.
2: Yeah. So I think, and I think that's part of part of the mindset with it. You know, yeah. they are that. You know, you you can't or you can't always you can't always go directly by the rules, but you can find a solution to that problem. yeah You know what I mean? And that's that's yeah. that's the whole like, that's the whole idea of it. You know, and. Uh, I think sometimes, especially in theaters of war like Afghanistan, you have to find some of those out of the box situations. You know, I mean, what Come they were, what the they were relying on was people going through a uniform type thing. You know, they'd be able to see you hit a compound or something, and then they would go, "Okay, cool." When they do this, because they just set you up into a position where you, they were looking at you. You know, guerrilla warfare is based on that is knowing that a big group of people have got to have particular uniform traits. You know, they've, they'll follow specific operating procedures. You know, and then being able to see that. you, So you've got to start switching up things that you do, you know, to have that little bit of deception in place, which is great because it gives you the freedom of thought to think, okay, how can we think of a creative way to do something new in a situation that we've been in a bunch of times before?
1: Oh, yeah. So now you're uh, you're in Afghanistan. You've trained for a year. You've done all this great work. Uh, you're at the top of your game. You're good to go. I, I reckon uh, that really sums up preparing to be a soldier. Silky, so you're on a cure for boredness. Silky Bush, and, of course, to our special guest, the very fascinating and inspiring Damien Tomlinson. If you need your office spick and span, your carpets cleaned, your toilets glam, or your plumbing checked by a maintenance man, call Fit Services.
0: If your outdoors,
1: too, have been neglected, your car park needs painting, your garden's protected, your pathway's swept or a new fence erected, call Fit Services. Maybe you need something built brand new. An office refurbishment and extension or two. Or an AC
0: system with ducting right through. Call Fit Services. Fit Services. Quality services second to none. Call 1-300-011-011.